0: Welcome to another episode of the NICE TESOL podcast, Shifting Teaching Paradigms. Every year, NICE TESOL hosts a conference where teachers, researchers and administrators can collaborate, receive essential professional development, and connect with the purpose of enriching the lives of the students we educate. Now, you can join us every other Monday leading up to the conference on November 3rd to the 5th, as we showcase the voices of TESOL professionals who share their experiences, insights, and practical tips on how they are making critical shifts In our dynamic field. Um,
1: The first thing that strikes me is the word shift. And I think that shift has become a bit of a buzzword lately. Uh, If you notice that people have started to use the term shift. And it's interesting because this is not a term that's used for incremental change, this is more of a, a recalibration or readjustment. In other words, it's not moving forward in a linear way. Shifting can go in different directions, right? So this is the key, I think, is we're not saying what we're doing is wrong. What we're saying is that it needs enhancements. We have to expand our perspectives of what learning means for the students we have today.
0: It is my privilege to welcome Dr. Helene Marshall as a guest on our podcast today. She is a professor of education and director of language education programs at LIU Hudson right here in New York. She teaches courses in linguistics and multicultural education in face-to-face, blended and synchronous online formats. Her research interests include culturally responsive, sustaining education, students with limited or interrupted formal education, non-traditional teaching of grammar and instructional technology, especially flipped learning. In working with Hmong refugee students in Green Bay, Wisconsin, Dr. Marshall developed a culturally responsive, sustaining pedagogical approach known as the Mutually Adaptive Learning Paradigm or MALP. She has published articles on MALP in ELT Journal and TESOL Journal, among others. She has been a dedicated member of Nice TESOL for many decades and of course will be presenting at our conference in person in November. And we're also excited to have her MC our annual dinner on Friday, November 4th at 630. So make sure you register to be part of that event. Okay, now let's get into the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Helene Marshall for joining us on Shifting Teaching Paradigms here today. Um, I really want to start off kind of talking about your current role in education a little bit more, because uh, the audience has already heard a, a really thorough bio, um, really highlighting a lot of your accomplishments. So I want to talk a little bit more, I want you to explain a little bit more about your current role in education, and of course, what led you to the field in general?
1: Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, and I've been very excited about this series of podcasts, and I'm so happy to be participating with you today. Uh, as far as my role, I'm basically a teacher educator, and my areas are TESOL and multicultural education. And there's a little bit of a story there in that I was originally and very happily teaching uh, ESL. And um, then I got my doctorate and a friend told me, don't get your doctorate, you'll, you'll place out of the, what you really enjoy the most, which is being in the classroom teaching language. And uh, I do miss it, I have to say, uh, and I have gone back to it now and then. Uh, but I found that I do have a niche in, uh, in teaching about uh, culture and multicultural education, which wasn't my original area. I was originally in sociolinguistics. Uh, which is what my dissertation deals with. But I got involved in culturally responsive and sustaining education when I lived in Green Bay, Wisconsin, that's another story, uh, for about seven years. And uh, I I came into contact with uh, the Hmong population there. My students told me that my methods courses uh, weren't effective in helping them teach the Hmong, and I was very puzzled by that. So I decided to launch a bit of a a study uh, in which I read everything I could get my hands on about the Hmong and observed many, many classes at all levels, adult ed, um, high school, elementary. And I discovered that uh, what I was looking at here wasn't really about English or even literacy uh, because many of them come from a totally oral background but the fact that oral cultures are so different and that became my focus. And uh, ever since uh, Green Bay, I've lived since then in uh, both Boston and back here in, in New York, um, I've become known more for uh, my work in the area of culture. Uh, but my other, my other hat is another story. I, um, I became interested in, uh, in ed tech, uh, back in the early 2000s, uh, when, um, when I wasn't able to, um, to get hired at, a, at another institution uh, because they wanted someone who could teach online, and I didn't know how. And I said to myself, boy, this, this seems to be a thing. I think I'll learn about it. So again, I launched this study of online learning. I took a course sponsored by TESOL, by the way, uh, and uh, I worked with uh, Vance Stevens, and we worked on audio and webcam. We're doing audio right now. And uh, I became kind of a de facto ed coach on my on my ed tech coach on my uh, my campus. Uh, and then a few years later, back at, let's see, it was about ten years ago, I became involved in flipped learning, and I've been flipping ever since. And in fact, I developed my own approach to online
0: flip learning,
1: um, which is uh, called SOFLA. I'll talk more about that
0: later. Wow. Well, this is quite the journey that you have described for us. And uh, I really, I mean, it's really very interesting to me to hear how someone has developed in terms of their career and their career interests. But what I would also like to know is that initial spark, what made you decide that teaching language was going to be your thing? Ah, okay, well, we're going
1: way back. (laughs) Yeah, um, I, um, I started learning French when I was 10 years old. And I became very excited about uh, speaking another language and eventually moved to Paris. And I say moved because I lived there for three years. And uh, I was totally fluent and and very happy over there, but I did need to support myself. (laughs) So what could I do in France? (laughs) I had my, um, I think it was called a carte de In any case, uh, I became an English teacher and uh, then I came back to the States and I thought, oh, well, I could teach French. But someone told me, you know, I had a hard time finding a job as a French teacher. And they said, well, you could teach English. And I said, but this is the United States. (laughs) I (laughs) I didn't know anything about the field at all. And they said, well, you know how you taught English you know, overseas? Well, you know how to do that now, so why don't you do that here? <laughs> so I um, I got a job at NYU and taught there for a couple of years. But then I realized I could get a degree in this thing called TESOL. So I went back to school and I got
0: my degree. Is that what oh. you wanted to know? I, it is. It, it is exactly what I wanted to know. But can you, what is what is of I? What, what is this? I'm sorry, what is you said quantity or you said you got your, you got or something when you were in France in Paris? Oh, a quantity travail. You have to have papers, working papers. Ah, okay. It, yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah, oh. you have to be authorized to work. You know, okay. not, not be a tourist on vacation, be a resident. You have to establish residency and show that uh, that you want a job and that an organization will hire
0: you. Okay, now I'm going back to something that you said. Uh, when you were describing your journey, which was that you did not know how to teach online. I mean, uh, it just uh, being very familiar with your work at this point, um, you know, how involved you are in flipped learning, uh, in, of course, developing SOFLA synchronous online flipped learning approach. It's just very hard to imagine that there was a time when you had no clue uh, how to teach online and. And I think that this is something that we all need to kind of pay attention to as educators, that we can always grow ourselves. We can always uh, grow our skills. There's always something interesting and new to learn in this field, no matter how long you have been in it. And speaking of how long you have been in it, I am going to ask you how long you have been a dedicated, nice TESOL member. Oh, well,
1: <laughs> I, I joined in 1975.
0: <laughs> <laughs> fabulous, fabulous. Okay. I'm and long,
1: I'm a lifelong member.
0: <laughs> excellent. And uh, what, I mean, what really brought you into this professional organization?
1: Yeah, well, um, well, I joined TESOL, actually, the big one in 1974. Uh, and I I don't actually remember the impetus, but I, as I said, I was teaching uh, at NYU. I was also working at the Eric Clearinghouse for Languages and Linguistics, and I was doing abstracting and indexing. And uh, they paid for me to go to TESOL in 1974 and and be at the booth. You know, the 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 Clearinghouse had a booth where we would hand out our briefs and things like that, that we would publish. And, um, and so there I was at TESOL. So I've figured, well, I think I'll join. So I joined and then, uh, how, uh, how did I get into nice TESOL? So, uh, I don't know how many people remember Gloria Gallingane but she was my, uh, one of my mentors and, um, and she was talking about New York State TESOL. And I said, oh, who wants to join the, the local one? I want to be in the big one. And she said, <laughs> oh, well, you know, she said, we have good conferences and you can be in both. And I didn't have, you know, a lot of money to throw around. I was in grad school at the time. And I thought, Ugh. but I uh, I decided to go to the conference in 1975. And uh, the rest is history. Nice TESOL is, is a very very important part of my life and and has been since then
0: and we're so glad that you just that you decided to give the local chapter a chance we're so happy that that happened um so i really would like to uh, go back to something that you said about uh, learning French, right? So, uh, you know, a lot of our audience, obviously, we're language teachers. Maybe some of us at some points have endeavored to learn another language ourselves. And I'm just wondering about a positive. Can you take us back to a specific maybe positive experience uh, learning French?
1: Well, I think my my entire family um, were francophiles, so I was kind of born into listening to Edith Piaf and Yves Montand, and uh, I just I had French like in me before I even walked into the classroom. Uh, but it was very positive in that I was in a very small class. I was young, uh, still, um, still in that in that in that critical period for. For learning a language, and uh, it was more like games. It was more like a fun kind of a of a class, and we met every Saturday. It was not part of school, so it wasn't required of me. Uh, I didn't have tests, and it was a very freewheeling type of class. Uh, and I did that for about five years, till I was uh, fifteen, and I started studying it in school. So by the time I studied it in school, because I'd been studying Latin for a couple of years, when I started studying French in school, I thought it was a little frustrating because I didn't think of French as as tests and homework. I thought of it as a language. <laughs> so I had to make a bit of an adjustment there. But in any case, I eventually um, took the advanced placement test and became a French major in college and and, uh, you know, as I said, then I, I moved to Paris. So
0: it all worked out. <laughs> okay, now, and, and you know, I, I'm glad you kind of brought up this idea of the, the difference in the feeling you had when you were studying French initially and it was games. It was, you know, kind of, kind of more just fun and engaging, and you enjoyed uh, going to class on a Saturday versus the experience uh, that you had in school. And I feel like when you know when you actually um, when it became part of more an, an academic uh, subject, and I, I feel like now. As educators, we're trying to get back to that feeling of total engagement, of having students be Excited to bring themselves, their experiences into their language learning. And this is part of where our conference theme comes into play, right? So, our theme is shifting teaching paradigms, examining inclusive dynamic practices. So, I would, of course, like to get your interpretation of this theme. Mm. Okay. well, the
1: the first thing that occurs, by the way, I was very excited to see that this was the theme. I know every year the conference has a theme and, uh, you know, it it draws people in to get energized about a particular uh, concept. And uh, this one really interested me, uh, which is one reason why I wanted to talk with you today. Um, The first thing that strikes me is the word shift and I think that shift has become a bit of a buzzword lately. Uh, if you notice that people have started to use the term shift and it's interesting because this is not a term that's used for incremental change. This is more of a, a recalibration or readjustment. In other words, it's not moving forward in a linear way. Shifting can go in different directions, right? So. This is the key, I think, it was, it, we're not saying what we're doing is wrong. What we're saying is that it needs enhancements. We have to expand our perspectives of what learning means for the students we have today. So the shift is to, to adjust to the students and not only expect them to adjust to our traditional teaching paradigm. We need to shift our paradigm. That's my understanding.
0: Wonderful. And so, how would you say that the work you currently do aligns with this theme? Ah, well, perfectly. How about that? I agree, since you, in fact, uh, founded uh, a, a a paradigm yourself. Yes, you, you, in fact, did that, a learning paradigm. Yes. Sir. So yes, please expand on that.
1: So exactly. Uh, so my work does involve a mutually adaptive approach to teaching. Uh, and I, I mentioned the Hmong earlier. And when I was observing them and reading the literature, I, I finally came to understand that the issue they were having by not being happy or successful in school was not so much learning English or uh, literacy, even literacy skills, but it was more that the way we teach and the way they most successfully learn were in direct opposition and conflict in a number of different ways. And um, by the way, uh, there's a very clear short article uh, that I wrote for TESOL Connections in summer 2020 um, that has the keyword cultural dissonance, which is the term I use for this conflict I was talking about. Uh, If someone wants to see this explained, you know, in print somewhere online. Uh, But anyway, I examined um, these different aspects of teaching and learning, and I developed a paradigm. It's called the mutually adaptive learning paradigm, and it takes elements of the learning paradigm of of most of our students and uh, the model of teaching we use. Now, this is not a method, okay, which is interesting because people try to put Put a label on this paradigm, but it's cluster of principles, which is what a paradigm is really, right? It doesn't tell you exactly what to do. It tells you the underlying rationale and conceptual basis for what you are going to do, because what you're actually going to do in the classroom will depend upon the students you have in front of you. But these are very general principles. So just to give you an idea, without, you know, too much, going into it too much in this current, you know, situation where we're we're chatting here. Um, basically, our traditional approach to education is to prepare students for life after schooling, right, what their next step is for the future, prepare for the future, and help them become independent learners, right, be able to be on their own without us or without each other even, and the third is to perform critical thinking tasks. And that's another important piece. They have to be able to think in a certain way. You know, all of these types of tasks we give them, decontextualized, like uh, multiple choice and fill in the blank and all of that. And based on the way we think, you know, in school, which is comparison and contrast, cause and effect, all that, sort of thing. Um, But that's not at all what many students are looking for. Uh, They're looking more to become interconnected with each other, with the teacher. Um, They're looking more for performing tasks that are immediately relevant, not about the future, and practically meaningful to them, not necessarily these decontextualized tasks. And also they like to share responsibility which can get them in trouble sometimes, right? They're really into helping each other. So it, it's a very different way of looking at learning and education. So for MALP to work, teachers have to make a paradigm shift. It's it's very demanding because they have to give a little. And, um, you know, the specifics of MALP, as I said, you can see them in articles or particularly that one, a very short one in... TESOL Connections. And also, I'll be demonstrating MALP at the conference in the fall.
0: Fabulous. Uh, Great. So, um, of course, we are in the middle of talking about educators shifting their perspectives, their, uh, I want to say, their thought process in terms of what and how exactly they are teaching and uh, perhaps how they are looking at their students uh, in class uh, mm-hmm. as, as holistic beings. So, um, and now if educators, if, if we can get many educators on this boat, on this path, where they are actually able to shift their thinking in terms of what we are discussing here. What kind of impact do you predict this will have on education in the future?
1: Hmm. Well, I guess I would approach it through the lens of my own work on MALP, and I think What happens is when we embrace the oral cultures that many of our students come from, and we don't see them in a deficit way, but we see the whole student, we see what they bring with them, we see what they prioritize, then what we can do is blend what they bring and their perspectives with what's new that they're finding here And then they become enriched rather than seeing education as a trade-off. And I think that applies not only to the students that I'm talking about, the ones more from oral cultures, but for many of our students, they see it as a trade-off that they have to trade in at the door some of their own priorities, their own ways of thinking, their own being, their own identity. They have to trade off pieces. And I think that when you work holistically They're adding. They're not trading. And we know from the literature that bilingual and, and in fact, multilingual and multicultural students are happier students and more successful students in the long run than students who are forced to choose just, you know, one language, one culture. Right. We know this in our field. So I think that's what it's going to look like.
0: Okay, and uh, I mean, there are so many different facets of of your work. Um, in terms of your focus on multicultural education, your focus on um, the, the synchronous online uh, flipped learning, right? Um, in terms of again this paradigm that you have developed mouth and of course the hat that you wear as a <laughs> an educator of teachers, right? So, uh, what part of all of those different hats that you wear would you say is the most fulfilling?
1: That that's like asking me to choose what's my favorite child. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, I gave birth to these uh, the Malt and the Sofla. I love them both, but. I guess to answer your question a bit differently, um, I would say at the moment, if you're asking me in 2022, you know, it would probably be a different answer at different times in my career. But I think at this time in my career, uh, what's most fulfilling for me has been mentoring. And uh, I've discovered that I have a really strong urge to share what I've learned over many decades, and it is many decades, five decades. <laughs> <laughs> Self-reveal there. Um, well, you already know I'm a longtime long member of NYCES also. Exactly. exactly. Uh, but in any case, I've had many amazing mentors throughout my life, and they've guided me and supported me in all the different pathways I've taken professionally. And um, I enjoy seeing younger colleagues develop and become known for their contributions, whether they're taken from my work or whether they represent their own, their original work. And uh, in fact, I just participated this past year in a mentoring program sponsored by uh, IALT. It's, it's a small organization. You may not have heard of it. It's, it's the International Association of Language Learning with Technology, it's, it's a wonderful organization if you're interested in instructional technology. Um, in fact, their conference next year is going to be in New Orleans. Hey, why not? Uh, anyway, I did a video interview with them, and it's posted online. And my mentee and I shared our uh, experience in the program. So that was kind of fun. And I know that Nice TESOL, I think Nice TESOL launched a mentoring program not long ago. So if anyone listening is interested in mentoring, either as being a mentor or becoming a mentee, I would encourage you to participate. I got so much out of it that I didn't expect and so did my mentee. Um, it can just be a, a wonderful experience for both both parties. So I guess that might not be what you expected but in terms of most fulfilling, but that's
0: that's the way I feel right now. That's great. I mean, I, I honestly had absolutely no expectation <laughs> of what your your answer to that question was going to be. I, I really, it, it was just kind of like this open and like blank slate in terms of uh, what you were going to say there. But I I do know that you are a fan of of collaboration, and uh, and and this is is really great in terms of the the mentoring efforts um, and what you're able to to get from that from sharing your knowledge and uh, helping others in the field. So, finally, I will ask where people can find your work. Um, you know, and if you have any. Upcoming projects, uh, books, publications, um, anything dealing with the sofla or mouth that you would like to uh, share with us? Okay, great. What a nice opportunity for me
1: here. <laughs> okay, so uh, I am very active on LinkedIn. So that's where you can find me. Helene W. Marshall, you can find me there. Uh, I also have a website. Uh, and, uh, we are reworking it and moving to a new platform, but, but, uh, right now it's malpeducation.com. So M-A-L-P like malp, malp education, uh, as far as projects, uh, in the height of the pandemic, unfortunately, our, uh, our, uh, most recent book came out. It was in, uh, spring 2020 and it was at. It was, uh, you know, right, right exactly when everything was uh, was happening. So it was tough. But it was the second edition of meeting the needs of SLIFE, SLIFE being students with limited or interrupted formal education. So that came out in 2020. And we just finished a manuscript for the second edition of another one of our books, Breaking New Ground, which is a book about MALP. The entire book is about MALP. It has projects in there, um, just off the shelf projects on MALP. And that should come out next spring, I hope at Tsal in Portland. And then uh, I do have a SOFLA project in the works. It's in the proposal stage and that's the SOFLA model, which is Synchronous Online Flip Learning Approach, my other hat, my tech hat. And uh, if anyone's interested, in, in the meantime, before that book comes out, there's a lot on SOFLA. Just Google SOFLA. You'll get South Florida first, but <laughs> it's not South Florida, but anything that's not South Florida is me. It's SOFLA. <laughs> so you can do SOFLA education and it'll come up, something like that. Um, So there are articles, there are a lot of YouTube videos I've made over the years. Um, It's been, you know, Sofla's been around now for more than five years. So there's plenty out there. Um, The other thing I have, which is very interesting, is that I gave a keynote at TESOL this year on uh, innovative uh, instruction in a digital age. And since then, I've been getting requests to deliver other plenary and keynote addresses. So
0: that's very exciting for me. (laughs) Wow. We, uh, our audience can't wait to uh, hear about uh, some of those uh, upcoming keynotes so that we can, can follow them. That sounds uh, excellent. Okay, so uh, I want to thank you so much uh, once again for joining us and uh, sharing your experiences with us. And we're so excited to also see you in action at our conference, November 3rd to the 5th this year. Thank you so much, Dr. Marshall.
1: Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Yasmin. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining Nice TESOL's Shifting Teaching Paradigms podcast. Tune in every other Monday for more powerful TESOL educator talk.